Right, so we're carrying on um, in the book of Mark. Uh, today's passage is, it's just a few verses. It's Mark chapter 1 and verses 40 to 45. And it's a, a well-known story to most of us. It's uh, Jesus performing one of his healing miracles. Um, it's something we covered in, in Youth Club actually recently, so I've got all the answers. So <laughs> I've had a, a, um, We've had a, a bit of a look at it from from a youth club perspective, but hopefully we'll, we'll go into a bit more depth today. But um, it's the story of Jesus healing the man with leprosy. Um, we'll just read the passage and then we'll, um, we'll have a look at what it, what it tells us. So Mark chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly stayed outside in lonely places yet the people still came to him from everywhere so it's it's clearly a miraculous thing isn't it that Jesus has done um, he's began his his ministry and he's in the region um, of Galilee and um, we're starting to see just who this person of Jesus is um, he's he's healing people he's calling his disciples um, and here we, we see this miraculous healing of a man with leprosy. Um, let's just consider what it means for, for someone to, to have leprosy, or what it meant in those days for someone to have this, this disease of leprosy. Um, we know that um, it still exists today, although it's, it's very rare, it still does exist today in, this, in our world. Um, but we have... Um, a particularly relevant couple of verses in Levit- Leviticus 13, which tell us um, what it meant for someone who was um, in Israel, a Jewish person, to, to have the disease of leprosy. In, in Leviticus 13, verse 45 says, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, Unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Um, David acted this out for us at Youth Club a few weeks ago. He had a COVID mask on and, and was shouting, unclean, unclean. And, um, it's, a, it's something that perhaps we have a little bit of sympathy, sympathy for, having gone through the COVID pandemic. All of us can relate to the idea of um, keeping distance from certain people and um, we, we can remember back to the height of it when if someone coughed, you'd, you'd run a mile, that kind of thing. Um, the experience of, of a, someone with leprosy, a leper, in those days would have been something far worse, of course. Not only have they got this disease, which is um, something awful to go through in a physical sense, it's a painful, debilitating disease. But as we've read, it meant banishment from the community. Um, these people couldn't live in a city or a town with, with everyone they knew, all their family and, and friends. They were banished to um, leper colonies or, or just anywhere but the, the community that they were from. 
Um, it also meant, as we've read in the Leviticus verses, um, ceremonial uncleanness. So not just the, the, the anguish of having the physical disease itself, but knowing that they couldn't approach God and worship God with everyone else. They couldn't worship God as they, as they were meant to. Um, they were ceremonially unclean. And, of course, we know there was no cure, so this was something that for, um, for those who got leprosy, it was a life sentence. So it's just a, a little glimpse there into what it meant for this, this man who, was, um, who saw Jesus and saw his opportunity to be rid of this condition. Um, no doubt he would have, um, of course, leapt at the chance to do that. So the man comes to Jesus and it says he begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Um, that's the first thing that we can pick out, I think. He uses that phrase, if you're willing, you can. And perhaps that's a really good um, model for us when we come to God in prayer, to have that attitude of, if you're willing, you can. The man had faith in Jesus' ability to heal him, but he didn't demand it of him in a sense that um, he was entitled to it. He didn't come to Jesus thinking that um, he was owed anything by Jesus or Jesus was there to, to serve him and meet all his needs, but it was a case of, um, if you are willing, Perhaps we can draw a parallel with uh, in the Lord's Prayer when, when it says, your will be done. The man recognised that Jesus perhaps wouldn't have um, the same will as him. He, he may not wish to heal him, but he had that simple expression of faith, didn't he? If you're willing, you can. And so, um, as I say, just a reminder for us to perhaps offer our prayers in the same manner. Um, when we come to God with our, our requests, um, be it for ourselves or for others that we care about, um, we should always come with that attitude of, if you are willing, you can. And both of those components are, are important for us to remember, aren't they? We have to acknowledge that God's ways are not always our ways. As we often say, um, we don't always understand why God works in the way that he does, but we know it to be true that God's ways are higher than our ways. But at the same time, we have to have faith that God does have the power, if he's willing, to answer our prayers and to, to bring about things like healing and, and, um, and to rescue us from, from the difficulties that we come across. So we have to have both faith in God's power and um, acceptance of God's will. So we can pray like the man, if you are willing, you can. It says that Jesus... Um, his, his response was indignant. It says Jesus was indignant. What does that mean? Does that mean he was repulsed by the man? He, he, he wanted to get away from the man? Um, it doesn't seem like that's, that's what the, the passage is saying. It seems more likely that Jesus saw in the man's leprosy the ravaging effect of sin. Um, <clears throat> Perhaps those at the time would have thought that this man was a, a particularly bad person. Perhaps they thought he'd done something um, particularly bad to bring this, this on himself. Um, John chapter 9 helps us with this, this idea. Just a couple of verses. <clears throat> John 9 and verse 1 says, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
So we see there that it was a common viewpoint of, of the day, and it seems to be the viewpoint of the disciples, that um, people thought that if something bad had happened to someone, if someone was going through a particularly um, significant suffering, they must have done something to deserve it. And we can kind of relate it to the idea of karma that we, we have spoken about in our world today. Um, the idea that you, you get what you get what you um, you deserve or you get what you put out into the world. Um, but Jesus tells us in the, the John 9 verses that that's not always how things work. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Talking about a different person, of course. But Jesus was making it clear that it's not always the case of of someone has, has done something terrible to, to bring about this suffering on themselves. So what does it mean that Jesus was indignant then? Well, we read, don't we, in, in, um, in the Gospels, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And we know that the Word is Jesus. Jesus was there um, right at the beginning. He was there before the fall of man, before sin came into man and, and did its damage. Jesus had witnessed the creation of perfect man without any sin um, before the disease of sin had entered him. And so what a contrast it must have been for Jesus when he, he was approached by this man with leprosy to see the, the horrific effects of sin. So we can perhaps say that Jesus, when he was indignant, he was repulsed by the effects of sin and um, no doubt grieved by, by what sin had done to, to his creation. It says, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. So Jesus was willing to heal the man. It says, I am willing, be clean. It's important to us for, to remember um, what Jesus came to this world to do. Um, we know that he didn't come to the world to heal the sick. We read that he healed many people and he, he helped people in, in many different ways. But that wasn't his purpose, was it? That wasn't why Jesus came to this world. Um, he was here for a more important mission, something with eternal consequences. And we can be thankful for that today, can't we? That we're the, the beneficiaries of that. And it's something that far outweighs the joy um, of sickness being healed, even in a case like this where it would have been something horrific. Um, the joy of, of what Jesus has done for us far outweighs that. And we can be thankful that Jesus came for that important mission to um, to save sinners so it wasn't the main reason that Jesus was here to heal people but we see that he was still willing to heal those who were suffering in a, a physical temporal way and so whilst it's important for us to, to see the bigger picture that God has an eternal plan and um, as it says in Colossians 3 2 um, we should set our minds on things above not on earthly things it's true that we should always keep that, that mindset of, of God's eternal plan for us all. Um, at the same time, we can also see in the passage that we're reading um, that Jesus, although he's fully God, he's compassionate to those in need and he's sympathetic to our frailties and our suffering. Um, it's clear from the way that he reached out. Um, it, it's clear that it was an intentional thing. Some have said that um, that detail of Jesus reaching out is included so that there's no ambiguity about uh, an accidental touch or anything like that. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. So he was willing and he was able to heal him. It's worth noting as well that um, touching someone with leprosy would um, usually mean 
that that person was ceremonially unclean, as we've read in, in the Leviticus verses. But it's, it seems that this didn't prevent Jesus from reaching out and healing the man. Um, we read at other times in the Gospels, don't we, that Jesus was at odds with um, people like the Pharisees and, and teachers of the law who would accuse him of, of um, breaking God's law or challenging him when he, he healed on the Sabbath and things like that. Um, they had a particular understanding of the law and it, it seemed to be different to Jesus' um, way of, of doing things. Um, but we know that Jesus lived an earthly life characterised not by um, an obsession with the, the fine details of the law, but rather by doing good and helping others. Um, that's why we today can confidently come to God with our problems and our, our struggles and our anxieties. We know that he was, um, he, when he was on earth, he was, he was doing good and he was helping other people. And as we read in, in uh, the scriptures, it says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. And we know that Jesus um, understands the struggles that we go through and he listens to us and he helps us. <clears throat> so he reaches out, touches the man, and the man is healed in a miraculous, immediate way. Then it says <clears throat> in verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. <clears throat> so why do we think that is? Why did Jesus not want the man to tell other people about this amazing thing that Jesus had done for him? Um, there are some who uh, put forward a theory that, that Mark actually added in these details of, of Jesus telling people not to tell others about what he'd done. Um, there's a theory that um, it's called the messianic secret and it's the idea that Mark um, added in these details to make it um, more plausible or, or to answer certain arguments about or objections about his account of what happened in Jesus' life. Um, but we, we see that actually Jesus wished for some of his miracles and his sayings to be kept secret, um, mainly to not inhibit his ministry whilst he was here on earth. And it's, it's very often for practical reasons. Um, in, the, in the instance that we're reading about, um, Jesus knew that news about his healing power would stir up a, a frenzy of interest in him. He would, um, as we see um, in the Gospels, he would become very, very well known for, for having this ability to heal and to help um, those in need. Um, it says, in fact, in verse 45, that the man, um, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So news about Jesus spread, and um, almost overnight, it seems, he could no longer um, move for, for people crowding around him, wanting to benefit from him in the same way and have this healing power. <clears throat> so, as we've already said, Jesus was compassionate and he was willing and able to heal people. But he was here for something more important, wasn't he? He was here to, to preach, as it says later on uh, in Mark's Gospel. He, he preached to the people who, who listened to him. And um, he was here, ultimately, to offer himself to, to save us from our sins. And this was all made more difficult by 
um, the new presence of crowds of people crowding around him um, at every moment of the day. So it says that he had to seek uh, lonely places and seek solitude. <clears throat> so it wasn't that um, Jesus didn't want people to, to benefit from, from his presence and from his teaching, but um, it was a necessity that um, at certain times uh, people didn't, didn't go and tell everyone what, what he'd said to them or what he'd done for them. <clears throat> at other times we read that Jesus intentionally spoke in ways which would mean that some would grasp what he was saying but others would not for example in Matthew 13 <clears throat> Jesus tells uh, the people a parable and then in verse 10 it says the disciples came to him and asked why do you speak to the people in parables he replied because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So, it seems then that there were times when Jesus would intentionally speak in a way so that some people would grasp the true meaning of what he was saying and others would not. It's um, something that's debated a lot among Christians. Why did Jesus do this? Did, did Jesus really want some people not to understand what he was saying? Um, some people think that that's right. Some people think that that's not quite right. But what we can be sure of in the context of what we're looking at today is that God has revealed precious truths to us about who he is. It's something we considered recently in the, the study day when we were thinking about the Holy Spirit. Um, God reveals things to us, uh, things that not everyone will, will grasp. Not every, People without the Spirit will, will not be able to grasp the, the truths of God in this way. But we can thank God, can't we, that he's revealed these things to us. <clears throat> and then finally, um, in the passage we're reading, um, in verse 44 it says, uh, See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So contrary to the accusations of people like the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't um, in the business of disregarding the Jewish law or the Jewish customs during his time on earth. Um, Jesus tells the man to go and show himself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for his cleansing. So the priest would be able to pronounce the man as ceremonially clean and he would allow him to, to worship unhindered. No longer would he have to be banished from um, the community and, and the, the, the um, places of worship, but, but he was able to worship again as one who was ceremonially clean. Um, so Jesus knew that that was something important, but he also knew that soon Jesus himself would fulfill the law and bring in what's um, called in God's word a new and better covenant. 
Let's just turn to Hebrews chapter 8 briefly. So Hebrews 8 and verse 1 to 6. I'm going to read from uh, the New Living Translation. It really, uh, it deals well with these verses, I think, and it, it helps us with some of the ones which are a bit bit more wordy, but um, it, it's a really good uh, translation, I think, of, of what the, the writer is trying to say. So Hebrews 8 and verse 1 says, Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honour beside the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest, since there already are priests who offer the gifts required by the law. They serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. And then verse 10 says, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So Jesus, whilst he was on earth, he made sure that, um, that those who heard him uh, adhered to the, the laws of the day and, and the, the Jewish customs. But he would have known, of course, that he was about to bring in a new covenant, and it's the covenant that we're in today. From what we've read in, in the Hebrews passage, um, the old covenant, it was a shadow or a copy of what the true system of worship was in heaven. Um, so it was right and it was important to the Jews to, to stick to this covenant, to, to obey the commands of the covenant, covenant. And it was the foundation of their relationship with God. But the Hebrews 8 passage tells us that what we have today in, in the church age, um, after Jesus' death and resurrection, is so much better than that. <clears throat> And we know, don't we, that the covenant that we have with God is not based on anything external or physical. We don't have to keep ceremonies and sacrifices. Um, but as it says, we have God's law in our minds and on our hearts. <clears throat> and it's all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Hebrews 8 and 3 said, our high priest must make an offering too. Well, we know, don't we, and we've been thinking this morning in our remembrance that Jesus has made an offering as our high priest. And it's, it's such a, a valuable offering, such a pure and um, righteous offering, that it's done away with the requirement for any other offering for sin. We know from the Old Testament that they had to come time and time again and offer these sacrifices to God for the sins that they'd done. And they had to adhere to this strict um, schedule and, and strict law of, of when to, to make certain sacrifices. But Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice of himself has done away with this for us. And we know that Jesus' death and resurrection was the only thing that could fully satisfy God's righteous judgment against all our sins. 
So what does it mean for us? It means we can enter into the new covenant, one not defined by customs and rituals and, and physical sacrifices, but one based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. As it says in Hebrews 8 and verse 12, um, God says, And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. It reminds me of one of our hymns which says, Pardon from an offended God, pardon for sins of deepest dye. And it's, it's an amazing thing for us, isn't it? We don't have to, um, to worry ourselves with the, the ceremonies and the sacrifices of the Old Covenant, but we know that Jesus' perfect once-for-all sacrifice has cleansed us of our sins and has, has brought us that pardon from, from God. So, coming back to our Mark passage, Jesus knew all of this was to come. He knew that um, one day he would do away with the Old Covenant and bring in the New Covenant through his own sacrifice of, of, his, um, of himself. But in the meantime, he made sure that the man who had been healed observed the law of God, did what was right before God, because he knew that that was uh, the foundation for this man's relationship with God. But we can be thankful today that we're in the new covenant, the better covenant as it's described in, in God's word. And we have uh, God's law and God's mind written on our hearts and minds. So we can be thankful that um, we have a high priest, our Lord Jesus, who's compassionate to our earthly frailties and our earthly problems and is willing and able to help us. We can be thankful as well that from the beginning of time, God had a plan to deal with the sin that corrupts us and brings suffering into our world. Um, and it's the sin that makes us unfit to stand before him. But God had a plan to deal with that. And we can be thankful as well that from its inception, the old covenant pointed forward to a new and better way of serving God. And we, in the church age today, have that personal relationship with Jesus. And more than that, we have the Holy Spirit within us and we have God's law on our hearts. So, so much for us to be thankful for as we, as we consider this story of, of the leper. We can only imagine how he must have felt to be, to be healed of his physical ailment, but um, it's even... It's an even greater joy for us, isn't it, to know that um, our spiritual ailment has been dealt with, our sins have been forgiven, and we're one day going to be with um, the Lord forever because of the, the new and better covenant that we, um, we benefit from. Shall we pray?